Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. My biggest misconception was I thought that if you are a really nice person and you articulate goals clearly that everyone will like you, that people will get on board, they'll believe your heart is right, and they'll support you. But I have found the opposite to be true. The more clear and the more strong and the more bold you are in a given direction, the more haters you will have. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, and here, as always, with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you? Yeah. Doing all right. Doing all right. It's one of my favorite things, hosting a podcast with you. And this, you get nervous because you know what I'm about to I say. I have no clue what you're about to say. <laughs> in, uh, in quarantine, because if you guys don't see this, you only hear us, but I've got the FaceTime call set up with Chandler so we can, you know, have nonverbal communication when somebody's ready to ask a question. It's just always so good to see you, Chandler, even though we can't be physically together. Very true. I'm Very missing true. your face, man. It's, well, you see my face now, but it's just true. not together. So, Very true. Well, I'm really excited to have a conversation today, and I know Chandler is too, with Ben Mandrell. So Ben was the former senior pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church and the founding planter of Storyline Fellowship in Arvada, Colorado. He is now our boss, boss's <laughs> boss's boss. He is the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. Ben, we're so happy to have you on today. How are you? Ben, it's great to be with you guys. I hate that I don't get this FaceTime tenderness <laughs> that you guys are experiencing. Evidently, that's special. Well, if you, man, you can always just call us out of the blue and FaceTime if you need to see a face. It's, we're always available <laughs> for, for you, Ben. verbal reassurance as the leader. Yes. And I'll give you thumbs up, the head, the head nod, anything you need, right. I'm here for you. It's good to know. Yep. No problem. No, I'm happy to be on, man. I love the questions you guys are asking. And if I was a young leader, I would totally dial into this podcast. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Well, we're excited. We feel there's so much wisdom that you have to share. And we actually had this, uh, we had this scheduled uh, in the middle of March, which, right. none of, which none of us knew what was coming <laughs> in the middle of March. And we've had to reschedule it. And of course, at that point, we were going to all be in the studio together. And now that is the last thing that we should be doing. And we are recording this remotely, of course. Um, and have been quarantined in our in our homes and, and working remotely. But Ben, what what is your you know trying to not be stir crazy? What has been your? There's a lot of downsides to this quarantine. But what is you and your family? What's like one of the highest uh, or the, one of the best moments that you guys have had during this quarantine season together? Well, like so many other people, we went and got a puppy. You know, hey. that's the thing to do right <laughs> now. So, what better time to deal with all of the angst of having a hyper puppy in your house than right now. <laughs> so we added a dog to the mix and it's been fun. So we've been doing that. And then also just my wife's an outdoors person. So, you know, there is no restriction on getting outside right now. So we've been doing a yep. ton of that, which honestly in church planting, even though we lived in Colorado, you would think we have done a ton of that, but church planting is such a busy operation that we did not do a ton of that. So it's been fun to enjoy middle Tennessee and all the hills and waterfalls. That's awesome. Well, what kind of puppy is it? I was just about to ask. We we have a golden retriever puppy. Oh man, mm. that is awesome. And we already had a golden retriever that is older that we love. So now he has a friend. <laughs> there you go. Well, I know just as as uh, Josh was sharing in kind of a little bit of your bio, you you moved from Colorado, which is the Rocky Mountains, and of course moving back to East Ten- Middle Tennessee. But you have East Tennessee over there with the Smokies. 
What would you say? Would you say Rocky Mountains are better than the Smokies? How would you rank them? I would say that every place on the map has its own charms and beauties. Now, if I had to pick one, obviously no humidity and no bugs win <laughs> yeah. every day of the week. It's very uh, true. So yeah, I mean, the, it's interesting. The mountains are gorgeous in Colorado, but the, the actual city of Denver and just like driving down the street is not as pretty as Nashville. Mm. Nashville has such green, lush right. landscaping and the rolling hills. And so it's a trade-off. Yeah, mm. for sure. I've done a lot of camp in um, uh, Estes Park, Colorado. Did you guys ever oh, make yeah. your way? Yeah. Of it's, course. It's uh, YMCA of the Rockies up there. Absolutely beautiful. And that was my favorite thing. You'd be in the middle of the summer in July and you'd wake up and you need a jacket. And I was like, praise Jesus. Oh, wow. This is this is just yeah. to die for. Which I have no idea why they call it a YMCA of the Rockies because <laughs> right. it does not feel like a YMCA. It feels like <laughs> the most awesome outdoor camp ever. Yes. I tried to run there one time and totally regretted it about two minutes in. Yeah. Never again. Isn't that, isn't that just always when you when you run though? I, that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, that's true. You know, that was a COVID <laughs> 15 pound joke that Chandler just made. So there you go. I hey, I'll, I'll say on. that about myself, not yeah, you. Yeah. That's okay. Well, we are here to record a podcast. So we should probably hop in now. Well, Ben, like, like we said, we we're excited to have you on today and excited to hear a little bit about your story and, and learn from, from what the Lord has done through your story. So can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that led you to where you are today at Lifeway? Yeah, man, I'll do it quickly. Um, so at uh, an early age, at um, my mid-20s, I began to recognize that God had gifted me to be a speaker. And I, that happened at a summer camp as a camp counselor where they threw me up in front of some medical, middle school students and said, speak. <laughs> and uh, it, it wasn't a disaster. I actually got some positive reinforcement from that and realized that God had built me to be a teacher and communicator. And from there, I began to pursue a life of teaching, kind of a, a life of the mind, so to speak. Did a lot yeah. of studying, a lot of thinking, a lot of work on my intellectual life. And then uh, when I was 29 years old, I was elected to be uh, the senior pastor of a large church in West Tennessee, and I co-pastored with the existing pastor for a year, and then he stayed on staff and ran hospitals and funerals, and as a young man with very little children, uh, my wife and I took on our first church, which was a really large context. So in that context, I was more of a specialist. Uh, I was the preacher, communicator, vision guy, but forwarded most of my emails. <laughs> to staff people. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you can have that. That was pretty sweet. And then seven years into that, felt called to uproot my family, move a thousand miles west and start a church from scratch. And I went from being a specialist to a generalist, which meant I was the one driving across town to get the cotton candy machine for the block party. <laughs> and uh, it was an experiment. It was something that we felt called to do. And we had never been church planners before. Didn't have that in my stock or DNA, but God called us to it. And Lo and behold, the Bible study that began in my basement became a, a, a flourishing church. And it's still to this day, one of the most miraculous things that's ever happened to us. Mm. And I learned a lot about leadership, a lot in Denver, um, from just being in the front lines, kind of as a generalist, doing what everybody else does. Uh, so it's a very different role, but I enjoyed it uh, immensely. And then at the height of that, as the church was really in an exciting season of having just moved into a building, God very clearly and also painfully called us away from the church that we planted to come and lead Lifeway uh, in a year of a global pandemic. And so it's been uh, learning how to lead through crisis this year. And I've learned a ton and I'm still learning and growing. And I think that's a mark of a leader. I think mm. we're always learning and growing and nobody has it all together. It's a good word. Well, 
One, one of the things you, you mentioned is early on, you, you felt the Lord was calling you to speak and to teach. And I remember reading a book uh, this past year in seminary. It was called Great Leader, Great Teacher. And it was talking about the marrying of teaching and leading. And, you know, as you said, that first role when you were, were a young senior pastor and you had the awesome ability to, to forward your emails to other people, of course, you were probably honing in your, your teaching and your speaking. Um, in your experience, how has be, the communication side, uh, kind of what, what is the balance of teaching and leading and how do those two things come together? Yeah, man, I, Trevor Noax always says words create worlds. I, I do think the way you speak, the way you teach, the words you choose create culture perhaps more than anything else. Mm. Now, that assumes that your behavior matches your words, which it doesn't always, but the way you articulate mm. vision, mission, passion, uh, that sets the tone for the entire organization. And so learning how to communicate in a compelling way, I think is step one of leadership. And I learned how to do that as a preacher teacher. And now as a, as a CEO, continue to feel challenged to communicate. If I've learned anything through this time of crisis is that in times like these, you can't over communicate enough. People mm. need to be hearing regularly information yep. or, or it creates insecurity. So I think clear communication and articulation of the, of the direction is step one that you got to learn in leadership, no matter what level you lead on. Looking, looking back on younger Ben Mandrell. Okay. So you're, you're going back not too many years, you know, not, not saying that you're old, but not too many years, but you're going back and looking in the past and tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership and uh, maybe, maybe even your life, but more specifically the way you led or realizing when you were a leader, things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> this is going to probably surprise you, but I remember the moment in Denver when my unchurched neighbors actually showed up at church. Mm. At that moment, my whole world began to shift in the way I communicated. It wasn't just communicating now to my church members who hopefully brought an unchurched friend to church. I was talking to the guy who lived 12 feet from my house, mm. who had no vocabulary of the gospel, no background with the Bible. And I realized in one sermon that everything I was saying was so foreign to him that I had to rethink the way I communicate in a post-Christian society. Hmm. And so that has, that has gone from being a lesson that I learned to really one of the major emphases of my leadership style is to, in every setting, try to communicate with absolute clarity, removing obstacles and, and, and making sure that clarity is more important than profundity. Um, and so I, I learned so much as a preacher teacher, but even now leading Lifeway, I think so much of what we have to do in the future is to make this organization something that even somebody who's thirsting for God for the first time would begin to find us and search for resources through us because we've articulated the need. Mm. Even thinking through leadership, it, it strikes a core with me because uh, whether you're a young leader right now and you're listening somewhere and you're about to make a transition to either a new leadership role or leading somebody new, uh, like a new team or just a new organization completely, you can't just come in and start communicating leadership jargon and theory and expect people to catch the vision because you might know a lot more than they do when it comes to uh, the vocabulary and the speaking and the teaching of that and the and the vision of that, you've got to uh, 
you've really got to make it simple and create clarity within that language. And I feel like you've done a great job with that at LifeWay. Not, you can't just assume people are going to catch on to what you're communicating. You have to yeah. really make sure they're going to catch on. Yeah, and a big part of that is having your ear to the ground on the questions that, you're, that are being asked at the ground level mm. and paying attention to some of those questions. Like one of my favorite things at church was just standing at the new here table and, and interacting with people who were new and just hearing mm. the questions that they asked. And thinking, how did I, how do I communicate that more clearly? Because that's an important question. Uh, and so I think we run past the important questions because we want to answer the questions we want to answer when they're not <laughs> always the same questions that people are asking. Mm. So uh, how it's, would, it's true in preaching, but it's also true in all organizational leadership. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you, what would you say to the young leaders listening right now? There's not necessarily a new here kiosk at, you know, every organization that they're at, but how would you tell them to get to know their people and get their ear to the ground in order to lead their people better? Well, first of all, spend as much time as you can with people that are four layers down. Mm. Uh, Don't assume that the people who are reporting directly to you are giving you all the best information because they could be far removed from the front lines as well. So like, for example, my neighbor, like when he started coming to church, uh, I received that information so much more clearly because it was directly from him. Uh, and so I think, I think sometimes, you know, I understand the importance of delegation and having chains of command for decision-making and all that, but there has to be some time on the calendar when the leader is spending time with the person who's on the receiving end of the ministry. Mm. And so for a pastor, that means time with unchurched people, coffee with skeptics, mm. not just hanging out with church members and deacons. And I think as, as we become like in the church world, as we become more churchy, we become less interesting to the unchurched. Well, Ben, you know, another pivotal moment, just hearing your story is clearly when you and your family left Storyline in Colorado to come to Lifeway. And um, I know that was a little over a year and a half ago, I guess, you know, it was in the works. The Lord was working in your all's heart and was, and was gearing you all up for that. Can you share a little bit more of that story for those listening? of what that looked like for the Lord to uproot you from the church that you all, you all planted and to, to come to Lifeway and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, man. Well, I think if you read your Bible, you see very clearly that sometimes God calls you to a place that you have your, you know, your heart's desire is to go to that place. And you've been dreaming and thinking about going there and God confirms, you know, think about Nehemiah who wanted to go build that wall and then God opened the door to do it. Those are the those are the easiest calling moments because God put it on your heart long before he created the opportunity. Mm. But then there's other calling moments like the one at Lifeway where it wasn't on our hearts to leave Colorado. It was not on our radars at all. It was very abrupt, but it was very clear. You know, that's a burning bush moment where you're like, wow, I don't want to leave Midian. I want to stay here. I don't want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. And so not to compare Lifeway to Egypt, but <laughs> it, was not, it was not the place that I had thought I was going or headed. I thought I was going to live as a Western church planting, multiplying pastor for the rest of my life. And I had already announced to my church that I was going to be buried next to Buffalo Bill uh, <laughs> up in the mountains. But one thing I've learned through that is, man, be very careful what you tell people you're going to be doing five years from now or 10 years from now. God knows you don't know. And his heart of man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs mm. 69. So when I got the call from the search team, I was a shocked, be flattered that they would even consider me because I have, you know, um, 
I, I just wondered like, what about my life would be appealing to a search team? And then C, just fear, like a lot of fear. Uh, because the the relationships that I had grown to prize the most were right there in those mountains. And God was going to call me away from my favorite people to go up to a place to do a task that I was, did not feel equipped for. Uh, and yet as I read the new Testament, that's exactly what Jesus does. He continues to call us out of the boat under the water and it's scary. And so, yeah, I mean, it was scary to leave and come back to Tennessee. I feel more like a missionary in Tennessee than I did in Denver. Uh, and so it's a, it's emotionally hard for us, but we're adapting. And we, we think that part of the role of calling is to adapt to where God has called you, bloom where you're planted and, and lead strong, which is what we're trying to do. Yeah. I've, Haley and I, have uh, we've walked through several transitions in the past few years. And uh, one common theme with those transitions is pain right? And there's, yeah. even though the, the transition is good and God has called, maybe calling you to a transition and you're going through it, um, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be painful. And what, what, what is painful for us, many times God really intends for good. And I think Hebrews, what, what pain are we willing to endure to get the joy set before us? Hebrews 12 too, right? And uh, I heard a pastor one time and I, I cannot recall who it was, but he talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he was saying God didn't meet them in front of the furnace or out of the furnace. He met them in the furnace, right? And he met them in the moment of what was supposed to be pain and one of the hardest moments of their life. And the same is true for a lot of us that in those moments of transition and pain, those are the moments where God uh, definitely does exist and, and will meet us and uh, help us get through those. So definitely understand the pain of transitions and leadership then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the real childlike faith is something we never graduate from. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, no matter how far we go in leadership, it's always a matter of just like a child trusting that father's got it under control. <laughs> mm. So, so much easier said than done. So we, yeah. we definitely, we definitely <laughs> sure. get it. Ben, when you first started to lead, so knowing what you know now, and I'm sure you've just consumed hundreds and hundreds of books uh, on all, all kinds of different subjects, but what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Man, that is a hard question because I'm an absolute <laughs> book nerd. If I had to pick one, and I'm going to pick this one because it's so contrary to everything I've ever read, because I, I tend to lean into theology a lot, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I just love scripture and biblical theology, all that. But I ran across a book that Todd Henry referenced in a podcast called "Getting Things Done" by David Allen. And it's a simple how-to guide to get your life under control. And he calls it the art of stress-free productivity. I read that book so quickly and then reread it probably every few months until it began to sink in about just the the simplicity of managing all the inputs in one's life. As a church planner, when I went from specialist to generalist, I had to figure out how how, how how to live with all these plates spinning at one time. And I learned so much from reading that book and the podcast that came along with it that I, w- I think it should be every seminary student should have to should have to read that book because at the end <laughs> of the day, you are as a leader expected to do more than preach. You have to execute on a lot of projects all mm-hmm. at once. And so I've I've loved that book. Very few people that I've run across uh, are aware of it, even though it has a big following. Uh, so that, do you guys know that book? I do. I'm I'm familiar with it. I've read like uh, the Cliff Notes version or like the executive summary and. 
there's an app that I use. It's called Things. And it's basically you dump all of your tasks in there and then go back and, and reorganize yep. them. So, you know, if you could give maybe a minute or two synopsis that somebody could walk away and be like, here's why I should check this out. But also here is like the tips from the book, very high level. Do you mind? Okay, here, here, here are a couple of, yeah, here are a couple of snippets that just stick with me. Number one, your, your head is for having ideas, not for holding them. Mm. For years, I try to hold on to ideas in my head thinking, oh, I'll remember that later. And I <laughs> just straight up forget like, oh yeah, I had a good idea once. All the time, um, yeah. Also, just the amount of stress that comes off of you when you do the externalization of your brain, just dumping everything onto a piece of paper that's running through your head. Okay. Nothing has changed in your outer world, but now you can at least see what you're dealing with and prioritize it. Uh, as a leader, you're always being bombarded with meteors flying into your outer space. So how do you just deal with it? Uh, so that book, you know, people who are hyper-organized like my wife, Lindley would read that book and she'd fall asleep because she already does it all. Right. She's uh, naturally right. really good at it. She would think it's so common sense. But David Allen says common sense is not common practice. So for most leaders, and he says most of the executives he's worked with, they are more unorganized and more scattered than you would believe. Hmm. And it comes with just basic practices like taking two hours to clean out your desk to decide what you're going to do with all that stuff that's stacked up in a corner. Like all that creates unconscious commitments that you're making to yourself. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do something about this. And the longer it goes on, it creates stress and drag on your system. And I realize over the years that I've created a lot of unnecessary drag on my system because I don't stop to review everything going on mm. and deal with it. Mm. And so, I mean, the one thing I would say is that the absolute, most important part of the methodology is scheduling an appointment with yourself every week called the weekly review where you just spend a couple of hours getting clean and clear and looking ahead at the next week. That's a practice that has tremendously helped, helped me. And when I haven't done it, because there've been seasons where I've fallen off, you feel it. That's, that's so practical. I mean, just, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I need to slow down, just kind of organize that, get everything organized. Cause there, there are times, and you, you mentioned this, that, some leaders, it's just like they're unorganized. And it is funny. You can meet leaders and some of the best ones that you you can follow. And then all of a sudden you kind of, you kind of hear about their organization. You're like, you almost feel relieved because <laughs> you're like, okay, I don't have it all put together either. Yeah. What I'm hearing you saying is, no, you should, even as, especially for young leaders, take the time now to create the habit of, you know, organizing how you get things done. And even what you said, there'd be so often, what'd you say your head is for? What'd you say for holding, that? Your, your, your head is for having ideas, not for holding them. Yeah. And just how many times you would forget to, to write something down or yeah. give yourself what to do for that. And then you forget it. And two weeks later, just that cycle keeps coming. So just so practical there. The well, Siri reminder app is so cool. Oh, it's <laughs> I mean, amazing. I, I use it. It's amazing. It my is. team's going to listen whenever this podcast airs. I'm going to be getting this book in the mail if my team <laughs> listens to it for, for sure. There you go. Well, Ben, what was your biggest misconception as a young leader? My biggest misconception was I thought that if you are a really nice person and you articulate goals, clearly that everyone will like you. Mm. Mm. That people will get on board, they'll believe your heart is right, and they'll support you. But I have found the opposite to be true. The more clear and the more strong and the more bold you are in a given direction, the more haters you will have. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you just have to learn to live with that reality. It's true in church life. It's true in leadership life that if you're a passive, weak, middle of the road leader, you're still going to get beat up. I think it was Margaret Thatcher that said, if you stand in the middle of the road, you get hit by the traffic on both sides. Mm, That's good. So as a leader um, early on, I thought if I would just smile enough and be winsome enough and make sure I report in and check in that people would would always give me the benefit of doubt and they'd line up and follow. And, and that just hasn't been true. That's, that was naive for me to believe that. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. I think of Galatians and I can't recall the the chapter and verse, but you cannot serve um, two masters, right? You cannot serve man and God. You cannot serve two masters. And I think about that middle of the road quote, you just said super, super wise. Um, as a leader living with your decisions is could, could be difficult but there's always going to be somebody in the building that is not going to want to get on that bus that you're driving. And that's okay. Like yeah. that's okay as a leader. Um, but it doesn't make it not painful because you want people to get on the bus. Like you want people to follow and you want people to ride with you, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And tell me like through that, what has been an experience that you had with that as a young leader? Like what was one of the first moments that you realized, Oh man, this, this is not working. It was like, there an example that you're willing to share with us. Uh, yeah, I'll give an example. Uh, early on in my pastoral leadership, I was dealing with a, I was personally dealing with a health challenge. Um, and I, the church didn't know about it, but I was, uh, I have a history of thyroid issues in my family and it started showing up in my life in my early thirties and it was creating severe fatigue and I'd never gotten tested. And so I, before I got tested, what was going on with me as I was really tired all the time and one Sunday night in front of the church, I just asked for prayer because I was struggling physically and felt really tired and exhausted all the time. And <laughs> I felt like in that moment of transparency as a pastor, what I was doing is I was just really inviting people in and showing that I was a human being. Yeah. Well, there were some people who heard that, who, who felt like I was whining, mm, uh, right. that other people had harder jobs than me. And I only really worked Sundays and Wednesdays anyway. And so, you know, that whole mentality... <laughs> And I learned early on that you have to be really careful how much you open up and where. I think, I think good leaders are transparent, but they're also very careful about where they're transparent, how they're transparent, what level of communication. That would have been a totally appropriate thing for me to say to my leadership team. Uh, But not everybody can handle all the information. And so I think when it comes to leading, we have to be really careful about perceptions and you're always managing perception. That's really good. And just thinking of emotional intelligence. I mean, a lot of times you have to learn that where, where, who is, who can I share what with? And and unfortunately (laughs) there, that comes through experience. And it comes from making the mistakes and we all, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. the, the mistakes of, or the experience of mistakes, unfortunately. Yeah, I'll never um, say that again. I mean, how many of us have ever tweeted something that, well, I'm going to delete that one real quick and I'll never say that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that uh, Craig Rochelle quote, you don't have to say everything that's true. Just make sure everything you say is true. It's true. It's, it's, like, it's like really critically thinking through, hey, vulnerability is really healthy and it's really good to have with a leader, but maybe not in front of everybody always. <laughs> right. Let's, let's think through what we're about to say here. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at the season we're in right now, Lifeway, I mean, yeah. you know, I want to be, I want people to see me as a human being who is, you know, wrestling with the realities of the pandemic like everybody else. But I also understand that a lot of people are looking to me for leadership and it wouldn't be good for me to grab a tissue and just cry the whole time, you know, right. like, 
there's a sense of responsibility I have to man up, stand up and be strong. Even when I, you know, on days when I feel weak um, and we all as leaders have days where we just feel emotionally weak. It's just how it goes. I mean, once again, if you ever need to FaceTime me and Chandler, the nonverbal, like <laughs> there's a virtual shoulder to cry. Yeah, there's a virtual <laughs> shoulder to cry on. That's awesome. Well, Ben, one, one of the things you mentioned um, in your story was that you took over a larger size church um, at the age of, was it 29? Is that correct? That's right. So all of a sudden you've got to build credibility with a lot of people who are older than you. You're leading in that capacity. Mm. You know. I think a lot of young leaders would be like, I would love that responsibility. That's where I want to be. But you've, you've lived it. And I'm sure that there is a lot of lessons that you've learned there and, and wisdom that you would share with, with a 29-year-old going into that position again. So what, what was it like leading at 29 and leading up to a congregation that is filled with many people who are older than you? Um, man, a couple things. I learned this too late in life, but Someone told me once in leadership, don't be overconfident about what you can accomplish in a year and don't be underconfident about what you can accomplish in five years. Mm. And when you're taking over an organization that has long history, that is very, very true. In church planting, that was not true. I could steer that thing like a speedboat. We could turn fast. Yeah. Uh, with, but when you're dealing with emotional attachment to past programs and people and personalities, it takes time and wisdom to turn that ship slowly. And so, yeah, 65-year-old church with a pastor that's been there 23 years, and 48 deacons, and, you know, a long list of Sunday school teachers that were far older than me. Uh, I just, uh, God gave me the, I think, the grace to just not feel like I had to change it all overnight. Uh, of course, at that time, I was emerging as a preacher, and I was really most passionate about preaching and teaching. And, you know, I, I tell you guys this all the time, when you come into a set, setting like that, like, just preach well for a year and leave things mm-hmm. alone if you can. Just mm-hmm. preach well for a year. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we talked earlier about leading and teaching. So much of leading is just teaching effectively. And so that was that was really a great experience for me because the church was overall healthy and did not need rapid change. It just needed stability. Uh, so that was, that was a blessing for me uh, to be able to do that in my first pastorate. A lot of guys don't have a blessing. They walk into a setting where things have to change quickly or the church is going down. Yeah. Um, that was not the case for me. So when you talked about, you know, it takes wisdom to turn the ship slowly, which I, I completely agree with. But what's the opposite side of that for a young leader stepping into an organization that's been established and they're, they see a thousand things, <laughs> right? So it, I'm sure when you stepped in Lifeway, you could see a lot of things. You're like, we definitely need to tackle this and we definitely need to create change here. But somebody steps in and they immediately start trying to just a hard right. I mean, very quickly. What, why is that bad? Or why and could I it think, be bad? Maybe that's a better way I think way it just misunderstands it. the human condition. I mean, we, we can't help but love tradition. We just do. We love the way things used to be. We also remember the past with rose-colored glasses. Mm. You know, we look back on the past, even your past, certain seasons of your life, and you, you tend to remember the really great stuff, but then you forget all the struggle, challenge, and the hard things in the day-to-day. And so people tend to remember, they have revisionist history. 
And so they look back and they think, why, why can't we just keep it the way it was? It was great then. Well, if it was great, then why are we in the situation we're in now? Mm. Um, and so in the, ch- I'm talking about the church setting. I'm not talking about life. What? So going yeah. into a church setting, you know, you look back and you think, gosh, if it was so great, then why did God call me with heart to change things? Uh, so I think a lot of it, it just is, is also just being patient with people to adjust to your leadership style. It just takes people a while to kind of recalibrate. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of guys give people enough time to do that. Now, if you're in crisis, you don't have a choice. Uh, you just have to hit the gas on change and you push it and you hope people will come off. Yeah. When you, when you were talking there, I was just thinking COVID has sped all that up, right? You don't have the time to, to wait. You've got to, and you know, churches are trying to get back to meeting again. And there's so many of us, and I'm, I'm sure even the three of us would say, I just want to meet, <laughs> I just want to meet with my church again in person, just like it was. And it's like, well, we can't right now and, and change is happening. But like you said, we, we hold tight to those things and it's when those things are taken away, it's very hard. So, yeah, I agree. I think COVID is a time where people are pressing the gas on change because they can and they should. Yeah. And, you know, it's time to rip the bandaid off on things and make the most of this opportunity to reframe the future because the, the, the church or the organizations on the other side of COVID, it's all going to look and feel different. We know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we better get ahead of it. Yep. Well, Ben, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are just short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. This is a pre-COVID question. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? That's a great question. So there's there's the routine that I prefer, and then there's the routine that works with my family. Okay? Mm, yeah, yeah. So if it were just me, I would be up at the crack of dawn, 4 a.m. Uh, I love early mornings before the world is at work, uh, reading, thinking, studying, getting ahead of the day. I like to do most of my creative work in the mornings before lunchtime, and then uh, maybe meet somebody for lunch or have a phone call at lunch, and then after lunch, I feel more administrative. I feel like my brain. It's on the back end of productivity. Uh, so conversations that are important but feel less heavy, I think, are better for the afternoon. Creative stuff just drains you. Um, and so I would knock off. Uh, I'd start work, you know, really early and then finish. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the hours between 3 and 6 p.m. are, are normally the hours where I have to just white knuckle it and power through the day. Yeah. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yep. Um, and then at night, I would have dinner, maybe watch a little sports and go to bed at 830. But when you have <laughs> kids that are teenagers, that doesn't happen. So yeah, we, we stay up a lot later than I would. Um, but that's we're embracing it, man. We got four teenagers in the house. and We're going to be empty nesters before you know it. So it's all good. I just have to stay up later and sleep a little later and adjust. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's a book. I don't know if you've have you read Win by Daniel Pink? No, I haven't read that one. It is describing everything that you are walking through. Of if here's here's my peak productivity, and, yeah. and different people are wired differently. So, um, you sh- you, just an executive summary on it is good because I mean, yeah, it's one of those it could have been a blog post probably, but it's 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 an interesting read. So, um, yeah, that's I'm good. Su- I'm super similar to you, Ben, except my my team calls it two o'clock, Josh. By two o'clock, I start. I start spiraling, you know, and <laughs> the wing seven of my Enneagram starts coming out. I just want to, I just want to have fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm sure. I can't do this. I can't do this the rest of the day. Well, uh, speaking of Enneagram, what is your favorite personality test? 
Um, I like Enneagram. I've always been a strengths finder guy um, just because I love getting right to the themes of people's strengths. Yeah. Uh, and I cut my teeth on that in church planning. We did a lot, we use that a lot with launch team and people that we were using. So I've always, you know, I've been a fan of Marcus Buggingham's work and Clifton strengths finder. Uh, I love that. I also love spiritual pathways by Gary Thomas, sacred pathways. Hmm. I don't know he, if I've heard of that one. Oh man, really either. good. If you read his book, sacred pathways, it's off the beaten path, but he's identified nine ways that people connect with God besides just Bible reading and prayer. Uh-huh. And you have kind of a love language with God. Every person has one, but this is why some people feel so guilty when you tell them, just go read your Bible more, but their love language yeah. with God is nature yeah, or being outside. And so he does a great job in this book, identifying through church history, the nine different ways to connect with God. So you can know kind of your way and not feel, you know, condemned for not being intellectual when you're really an aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, so Gary Thomas, the sacred pathways and, uh, Clifton Strengths might have been my two, but I like Enneagram. Of course, you got to be conversant on Enneagram these days. You just have I to know, right? What are your, what are your, uh, what's your Enneagram? And if you have your Strengths Finders on hand, what, a, what, what are those results? Excuse me. Enneagram, I'm a seven. I'm an enthusiast. I love getting people excited. I'm high eye. Uh, challenger is my wing. Uh, I like to challenge status quo and get people thinking outside the box, uh, which can make me a critical person also. <laughs> um, it's hard for me to walk into a public setting or a public event and not find things wrong with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me a terrible pew sitter, um, by the way. And so that can be very arrogant, by the way, also. Um, strength finder, I'm a learner, number one. Um, and that's by far my strongest one. I love learning people. I love learning situations. I love learning through books. I just love learning. Um, so I'm constantly learning, but I'm also an activator. I like to help people figure out how to make something go mm-hmm. and make it move. Uh, and so those two things were why church planting fit me so well. Yeah. Love it. Well, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? An unusual habit. Um, <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, <laughs> uh, cause I like, I mean, one of my favorite things in, in relationship building is finding the quirks in people. Like everybody's got quirks. Yeah. Um, one of my unusual habits is, man, this is not unusual, but if I don't start the day with coffee, I'm just not a nice human being. <laughs> I feel you <laughs> like on even, that one. Even today, I quit. My wife and I stayed all night in a hotel last night in downtown Nashville because the rates are crazy cheap. And <laughs> um, I got up super early and I just had to walk until I found a coffee shop. Like I had, it had to happen. <laughs> uh, and so I'm a little embarrassed of that because I don't feel like the day starts until coffee serves. Um, and so that's, that's kind of me. No, it's totally fair. I, I've been in such a strange season of my life because uh, we're, we're in a season of transition. And so with that comes anxiety sometimes. And so uh, I remember one of your huddles, you were, I, I, I got to uh, admit something. I don't remember exactly what you were talking about, Ben. But it was great. It was great, I'm sure. I get it was it. about uh, like having coffee, like decaf coffee doesn't give you the the kick you need. I've been having to drink decaf coffee because it just flares up my like anxiety. Oh, so I've missed no. the caffeinated coffee. Oh no. I, I know. Isn't it horrible? But I that's I can't imagine that kind I of do, I do love coffee. I do love coffee. I though. do too. Well, hey, what's your uh what's your favorite app on your phone right now? Siri reminders. We've already talked about this. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there it is. I, so I love to remind myself of stuff all the time. Um, hold on, let me pull up my phone right now. Let me let me look at what my apps are right now. 
Um, well, so first of all, I'm directionally challenged in every way. So Waze and I are best friends. Yep. <laughs> um, and then with two golden retrievers, the iRobot app, which is oh. vacuuming my floor when I'm gone. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. We have, we have tumbleweeds of hair in the corner at all times. <laughs> yes. Um, but so totally worth it. Totally worth it though for your golden retrievers. Yep. I know we talked about getting things done is uh, the book you would give your, your younger self, but what has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Best book, book I've read in the past six months would be John Eldridge, Get Your Life Back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just read it because we did a podcast together. And I don't know, John has this way of, he's a counselor. So he just has this way of talking about the heart that I've always appreciated of, uh, you know, in the book, he confesses that he, he just has kind of at times lost his connection with his heart and, and it, it's basic practices that he's learned that, that keep his heart connected to his head. Like one of the things he talks about is the one minute pause mm-hmm. where he will take one minute and just over and over say, Jesus, I give you everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a world that's spinning right now so fast, uh, I, I've just found that to be super helpful. Just in the middle of the day, when I feel the weight on my shoulders, just stopping and just taking a minute to confess that um, he's in control over and over again. Uh, and so, and he's got he's got some stuff in there just about spending more time outside and you know getting outside the walls of your office that bring creativity and freshness. I, just, I thought it was an easy read, but also a good devotional read. I like. Yeah, John. John was on uh, the Unseen Leadership podcast a few months ago, and if you've not listened to that one, that is one of our most listened to episodes. Yeah, and so much to unpack there just as Ben was sharing. I was gonna, I was gonna say, you talked about him being a counselor, and yeah, that's what he does. But like, as we were interviewing him on the podcast, there were moments, and Chandler kind of test like, "Wait, are you counseling me right now? Hold on, are we, are we actually right. doing this?" Right. <laughs> like we, one of the questions I asked him on the podcast was, "Hey, talk to me about your younger self." Like the question you just asked me. Yeah. If you could go back and tell your younger self something, and he may have said this on your podcast. But he said, "I would say," he said, "I would say to myself, slow down. You'll get there." Yeah. Mm-hmm. you'll get there and i thought man it's just it's a so simple good. way of putting it yeah. it's really good it's so good i man. find myself sometimes just as a type a leader just want to sprint all the time just sprint just run through doors mm. just slow down you'll get there slow when he down. said that that just opened up a new world for me i loved it yeah he was sharp i would love to I don't know how we could get a repeat guest on Chandler, but we gotta we gotta figure that out. We gotta try. Be, Tell yeah. us uh, another story. Hey, I want to be on that one, guys. If you get him okay. back on, I want to okay. be. A, I want to be. A Maybe that's host. our way in. We can be on Facetime, and I need nonverbal communication. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we will get it done. I promise. I promise. Okay, last question, Ben. What was uh, or what what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Humility, humility, humility. Seek to mm. understand before seeking to be understood. Mm. Uh, just believe that you don't have all the information you need. Um, so if you're going into it for the first time, especially uh, take lots of notes, ask lots of questions, be careful talking too much in meetings. There will be time for that. Just take it all in and people don't expect you to know what you're doing. So don't act like you do. Mm. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's right. And uh, slow down. <laughs> one of my <laughs> favorite Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs that never gets preached is, a, a man's gift makes room for him. He will stand before kings. Mm-hmm. And in Old Testament times, when you went into someone's house, you brought a gift. It was an act of respect. 
And when a young leader is respectful of people who have been in positions of leadership longer than he, it opens up doors. So be respectful. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you in your leadership. And if it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow, shoot us a DM. We'd love to connect. I'd love to hear how you're enjoying the podcast and we'll see you next week. Peace.